I'm your host, Dana Giordano, and this is the More Than Running podcast. In this fifth season of More Than Running, I'm branching out to tell more stories that are untraditional from the track and trails and now beyond. More Than Running is hosted on the Sidious Mag podcast network, and every week I will be bringing you new conversations about the most inspiring and insightful women I know and want to know. Whether they're doing amazing things on the track or working tirelessly to promote the sport as industry leaders and entrepreneurs, hear how they found success. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave me a review. Every message and subscriber helps me reach more people who are connected by this amazing sport. With that, welcome to the show. This episode of More Than Running is brought to you by Solomon. I've been partnering with Solomon for the first few episodes of this season because I am running my first trail half marathon, the women's only trail half marathon right here in my backyard in San Francisco, right over the bridge in Marin. And if you don't know a lot about Solomon, they were born in the French Alps in 1947, and they have an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear. It's my first time ever running in trail shoes, and... I can't believe it's taken me this long because they're really perfect for any runner on any train, no matter the challenge. And they're creating all this with a why not spirit. From trail running to snowboarding, Solomon's goal is to make gear that transforms sport experiences because tomorrow is yours. Welcome back to the More Than Running podcast. Today, I say this every time that I have a special guest because they all are very special, but today's guest is my first trail athlete the one and only Courtney DeWalter. Welcome, Courtney, to More Than Running. Thank you. I can't believe I'm your first trail runner. Yes, I think that it has to be said. I started this podcast when I was training for the Olympic trials on the track. So my bread and butter was track runners. I shifted to marathoners, and that felt like an extreme I knew nothing about. So I decided to skip all the short trail races and go directly to ultra runners. Cause yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you have to do it, right? You can't yeah. just jump into a marathon. You have to go straight to a 50 miler. And I feel like that might be the path for me. Did, yeah. Have you ever done a marathon? That was, I needed to know. Like, did, was marathon the gateway? Or were you like, let's skip that one? Well, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me on. And second of all, buckle up because I think by the end of this, we'll have you registering for a hundred mile race. And I think Ooh. no doubt it'll happen. <laughs> All um, right. But I did, after college, I was just running roads and um, moving because I loved the feeling of running and always had and always will. Um, so I did sign up for a few road marathons after college, did them, you know, pretty casually, had a lot of fun with it, and then uh, jumped really quickly into the ultra world. Yeah, I'd love to start about a little your background in Minnesota because Minnesota tough is a thing. And you were a Nordic skier, which I think Nordic skiing, the Nordic skiing world and the running world are pretty separate, but the training is so similar that I'm just a little confused as to why there has not been more crossover between the sports. So I'd love to hear your perspective of why more Nordies haven't pivoted into the ultra space. I think it'll happen. Um, Nordic scene is so cool. And I was really lucky to grow up in Minnesota where uh, Nordic skiing's a 
pretty big sport. All the high schools have teams, there's club teams, all the golf courses groom, you know, beautiful trails. So Nordic skiing is very prevalent there as a winter activity. And um, it does have a ton of similarities to running and the training that you do, but also how you kind of dig in during a race and find that next gear all the time. I um, started off as just a runner, like early in junior high and um, even elementary school, I ran and then cross country skiing sort of happened as like a way to stay fit between running seasons. Yeah, Molly Seidel um, also started one of, you know, marathoner. She was a big Nordic skier as well. And, you know, a future more than running guest, another fellow Solomon athlete, Jesse Diggins, of course, is a Nordic skier. Have you and Jesse ever discussed as Solomon athletes your Nordic skiing backgrounds that you guys have in common? No, but I, it is on my wish list to meet Jesse Diggins in person and get to chat with her. Um, we're both from Minnesota, so we would have, you know, skied a lot of the same places, met a lot of the same people along the way. And then, uh, yeah, it's cool to see her on the Solomon team and doing trail runs as some of her training in the off season. So let's talk about this past summer, because we could, I want to go into so many different topics, but let's talk about the current moment in time because you've had a couple of really fun events that you just finished including um you know an fkt attempt and also not attempt success and a race with your mom so i'll let you pick which race would you like to talk about first oh man well i'm just back from minnesota doing the race with my mom so let's dive into that one first so your mom had never run an ultra race before and the gateway drug 50 miler was on deck is this a race that you had done previously before we were like okay well, let's just find something in minnesota so it's close to mom yeah kind of both so this we we signed up for the superior 50 mile race together which is up on the superior hiking trail beautiful trails beautiful area of minnesota uh, north of Duluth, so you're getting up there. Um, I had, back in 2012 or 2013, I think it was, uh, finished the Superior 100 as my first 100-mile trail race that I successfully made it to the finish line of. Um, so I knew the area and I knew the race was really cool. And when my mom and I were looking, we thought it would be pretty special to do this together in Minnesota. She lives mm -hmm. there still. I grew up there. It kind of like made it feel full circle to, to meet up there and try this together. Did you have to do any specific coaching for your mom? Or I know that your style of training yourself depends day to day. So what kind of advice did you give to your mom leading into the training for this race? And the time of the year is, you know, the seasons are turning a little bit, but, you know, obviously training through the hot summer, um, did that have any part of it, the environmental factors of the advice you were giving to her? Yeah, I for sure wouldn't 
uh, consider anything I told her coaching advice, but we did have a ton of conversations about, you know, what the trail might be like. And the race has about 10,000 feet of climbing. So I was trying to, you know, paint a picture for her of what 10,000 feet of climbing is going to feel like and give some tips on like, maybe hop on that Stairmaster, you know, during the Minnesota winter last year. Maybe um, let's find you a hill that's near your house that you could go to and practice with poles. She had never used poles in a race before. She had never worn a hydration vest. So I um, basically sent her all these things, all this nutrition What do I stuff. do with these? Yeah, and then we got on uh, FaceTime and we were walking through it all like, okay, here's the fit of your hydration vest. That's too tight. Let's try another or whatever. And then here's how you use your poles. And I uh, gave her some, you know, ideas for training and what she could try to do this summer to get ready for it. What in the day before the race, how was the energy? Was there any point where she was like, I don't want to do this? You guys seemed really happy and gung-ho before the race. Was there any moments of doubt that she had leading into it? Or was it more of the work is done, we're ready and pumped? Yeah, it was more we're ready and pumped and how cool to share this together. And whatever happens out there, we're going to just give it our best and um, keep trying and you know like my dad and my husband were there crewing together so we had this whole uh i don't know it just felt like a really special time together we were pumped she was like she definitely had the um like excited but i can't picture it all the way so i'm not exactly sure what i'm excited for yet you know like she yeah i understand she, that yeah she couldn't like, it's like when you go on a run, you don't know how long it is. No, yeah. that makes so much sense. She was like, how far do I? It's hard to imagine 50 miles if you've never done it before. What was her longest training run before that? So she had done, um, she signed up for a 12 hour race with a friend, which was on a two mile loop. And during that 12 hour race, they made it like 40 47 miles or something like that, 48 miles. Um, wow. On a flat, you know, kind of paved loop. So different sort of running, but the time on feet and the mileage and like the endurance and just the feeling of pushing had been there and had been practiced. So this really was the, the extra element was the elevation was the biggest difference. And the, the trail, I think. Some trails are really smooth and buffed out and run almost like gravel or they run almost like pavement. And then sometimes uh, trails are a little more relentless in their footing. And this one is on that side. So the Superior Hiking Trail is just tons of rocks and roots and like, you know, you're doing big steps down, big steps up, like, it's hard to get in just an easy, like jogging groove on a trail when it has so many different types of foot placements happening. So how many miles did you guys end up being able to run and how did the, you know, the race itself go? 
We made it 28 miles um, and then we missed the cutoff at that aid station. So uh, they wouldn't let us continue on just per race rules. They make different cutoffs like this for uh, aid stations and like safety and just, you know, moving it along. So we missed that cutoff by uh, just a few minutes. Uh, our race That's was so done. painful. Yeah. It was okay though. It was like, uh, I mean, it was 28 miles that we got to celebrate doing together and um, experience of, you know, did you like this? Do you want to try it again? Are you interested? And right away, she's like, we got to, we got to find it another one and try again. Like, that was so cool. What a beautiful day. I think I can do my training better. You know, I think we can do this. So we're both fully on board to try again to do 50 miles together. Ooh, when you think about, is there one in that comes to mind? You're like, all right, some of the elements here didn't suit our strengths. Let's find one that we think is, would be a better fit. I don't, I don't know. I think uh, one that feels like an adventure again. This one is a point to point course. So the whole thing just feels like this big, you know, journey trying to go 50 miles away to a finish line. And I think uh, we are both really jazzed on that idea. So finding something similar where it feels like, you know, you're like really out there and you're really doing this with your feet and your brains. So I noticed that you guys had matching outfits and was Thanks that- Thanks for noticing. Well, <laughs> did no one else notice? That was the first thing I was like, they're adorable, they're matching outfits. <laughs> was that your mom's decision or was that your decision? Did you well, wake up once you wake up, you put on your signature fit and then she came out and you were like the Spider-Man meme? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, that very likely could happen anyways. Um, but we had chosen, like, I had the shorts I was going to wear and she had the shorts she was going to wear. And then we were like, well, we've got sort of a theme going on here. So let's just milk it. <laughs> Solomon head to toe, of course, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any siblings? I've, been, well, I've really been wanting to ask. I have two brothers. I'm the middle of two brothers. And have they ventured into the ultra running space as well? Could this become a whole family affair? Oh my gosh, I would love that. Um, they have both helped me at ultras. So they have both paced me and been out crewing me at different events that I did, but they have not signed up for their own yet. Actually, um, before I got, er, really early on when I had first gotten into ultra running, um, I had done a few road marathons and my older brother had done a few road marathons. And so my younger brother texted us both and he was like, hey, if I sign up for a road marathon, will you guys sign up and run it with me? And mm. so we, the three of us signed up. We're, my older brother and I were like, absolutely, like which marathon? tell me where to sign up. And the three of us ran it, the whole thing together. So we did a marathon together, which was super Oh, which fun. marathon? We did the Twin Cities Marathon. 
Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, it was really special and like just cool to share that as siblings and um, to have experienced 26 miles together. I remember during it, my younger brother was like, I mean, we were probably near mile 20 or whatever, like it was getting hard. And he's like, this feels terrible. My legs hurt so bad. <laughs> and my older brother and I are like, yep, that's normal. <laughs> you just, you're just gonna roll with it. That's, if, it, if they felt yeah. good, we would be concerned. You should be running a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's going. pretty rare to have these, you know, running families. Like most of the time where, um, maybe this is more so in the track space than the trail space, but there's kind of one person in the family that somehow, you know, was the one who ran so much in soccer and got pulled into the track world and kind of no one else in the family does it. Um, it's pretty cool. Every time that I meet these families where everyone runs, I think it's just like the most incredible thing to be able to share those experiences. And you kind of have your built-in crew. So how do you select who your crew is? And is it a hard thing to get people to come aboard? You know, because these are long races, there's long time commitments. Um, is it people really want to be your crew? This might be, yeah, this is so out of my element of understanding how the crewing works, but is it like family first, then friends? than people who have volunteered. How does the crew selection process work? Yeah, um, it's a huge part of it. So the really long ultras have eight stations along the way, anywhere from like seven to 20 miles apart, where you'll come up on an aid station and oftentimes those aid stations can be accessed by people cheering or crews helping their runner and crews are meeting you at those aid stations just with like your personal supplies, socks, mm -hmm. shoes, you know, any clothing changes, any special foods that the aid station might not be offering and just kind of morale and jokes, you know, like boosting mm -hmm. your spirits, seeing friendly faces and heading back out. For sure, you can do an ultra without having a crew. So some people, it'll just be them, their own, you know, bodies and brains and the aid stations and the amazing volunteers at those aid stations, uh, which is a, another cool way to go about completing these races. But I usually um, will have a crew. I think it's really special to share those memories with people and, um, you know, to like, it can get kind of crazy. Like after 24 plus hours running, like the runner gets a little delirious. Maybe things start to get a little bit like funny or maybe there's hallucinations oh, or, I've you know, like things. In my yeah. research this podcast, I was like, you've gone blind, yeah. <laughs> you've hallucinated. You've had people out to pull you off the course. I was like, this sounds like war out there. It can get weird. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think those are the really fun memories to make with your loved ones and with your friends. So to, you know, be able to sit with them 10 years after a race and laugh about that thing that happened together at sunset or whatever is like, that's what I'm all, I'm, I want to make those memories. So I will usually have a crew and uh, really feel lucky that 
people uh, usually are able to come join because it's a tough job. They're awake just as long as the runner is. They're driving these like four wheel drive roads to the middle of nowhere usually and you know, lugging your dirty socks and bags of ice and like, it, it's a, it's tough. Um, it but I'll have as well. often like family and friends join in. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I was saying it's, it's like an intimate relationship too, to ask someone else for something you need in a very, you know, not dark moment, but a, you know, a tired moment and maybe you're asking for things that you wouldn't specifically ask a human to do in day-to-day life. Is there yeah. any memory you have of like a very strange request that you had um, late after those 24 hours, 20 of your crew members? I don't think I usually, uh, I don't know. I can't think of anything strange, but I think probably my, uh, Strangeometer is a little skewed on what I would consider strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, different foods maybe, or, you know, specific like temperature ideas, like let's have some icy slurpy ready, or let's mm-hmm. make something hot ready. Um, I think it's been really cool to have repeat people be my crew and uh, be able to build kind of that relationship with them because they can look at me and look in my eyes and and just know how it's going and, you know, know to ask or not ask or to offer something or to just, you know, like let it ride out. And I think that's pretty cool to have a group of people who have seen you on every part of a roller coaster ride, you know, the highs and the lows, and they um, they still, one, keep coming back for more races, and two, have like gotten really in tune with what that means and what they could try to help me keep pushing. Because at mm-hmm. the end, like it's all of our finish lines, I just happen to be the one with the feet running the miles. When it comes to those moments where you know, your health is on the line during a race, such as the race where you, you know, were suffering from bronchitis and had to be pulled. It must be a very challenging decision for the crew to want to pull you out. Is it something that you discuss before the race to say like, hey, I probably will be unable to make that decision for myself. Like I fully trust you guys to make it for me. Is that something you have, you know, a pre-race conversation or these, these are your intimate friends and family. They, they already know how to do that for you. Uh, kind of both. I think uh, we all always have the same goal to push as hard as we can and to see what's possible and to see how efficiently we can get to that finish line. Um, but I have, like before that bronchitis one, I had specifically said to them beforehand, like, this is going to be a lot of days of running. This is, you know, uncharted territory for us. We've never gone this many days. And I know that my brain is going to turn to mush. So I fully trust you to make decisions. And I commit to listening to your decision and following it, regardless of like, you know, what I'm thinking in that moment. So. 
I told him, like, if you tell me to put pants on, I'll put pants on. You know, if you tell me to change my socks and shoes, I'll change my socks and shoes. If you tell me to rest, if you tell me to go, like, I was like, I'm going to trust you guys to get us to that finish as quickly as we can. And so when they did make the call, um, so this was actually the bronchitis one was a FKT attempt on the Colorado Trail, which is a 500 mile trail across the state of Colorado. And we, for um, a couple days, had been struggling with, I had this really severe cough. A lot of things were coming up with that cough. It was spiking my heart rate and my breathing just wasn't working very well, which was then dominoing, like sleep wasn't great recovery wasn't great, like my legs, everything was just sort of like in this downward spiral. Um, so at mile 305 or something, they said, hey, like this cough has actually got us pretty nervous right now. We're going to bring you to the hospital. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, all I could do was trust them. And hindsight, I'm super thankful for them for making that call because it was, you know, their project as much as it was mine, and they wanted to get 500 miles as much as I did, um, but they made that harder call of like, something's not right here. Let's go get you checked out. It's amazing to have a support team like that that can do it for you. I'm, thank you for sharing that because I think it's it's a part of the sport that's so unique to ultra running having this group of people. I think when you run in a marathon or on the track, like you are a little bit more isolated, especially when it comes to the decision-making of, unless, you know, a medical emergency happens. But I think that's a really interesting and fascinating experience to have, like with a large group of people to celebrate, you know, the highs and the lows together. So let's talk about this summer though. So when you think about a year of racing, are there, okay, I have to do these races because I've never done them before. What is your decision making as far as which races to do, which FKTs to do? Um, and, you know, I think when a big race like UTMB comes up and people are like, where's Courtney? But you had already had decisions of other races on the calendar. How do you think about a year of racing? Is it a year long? Or are you just like one race to the next? Is that how you schedule it? Like, what does the calendar look like for Courtney? Yeah, I, um, it's so tough. There's so many fun options. <laughs> and, yeah, and there's just, a million uh, races. There's a million races and they all offer a unique challenge and uh, something new. Um, and just in the past couple of years, I've gotten a little bit better of like, uh, not trying to do every single one. I'm getting a little wiser with my uh, years, but <laughs> at the start of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the start of the year, I will, um, yeah, kind of like, I don't, I wouldn't call it soul searching, but just think about like what thing excites me, what type of, you know, racing is intriguing to me right now. Like what challenges would I like to test myself on? And uh, from there, maybe, um, you know, guide my season with a general theme or uh, 
maybe like three races that I really want to target and then let the um, in-between races or the in-between times just sort of fill themselves in as it feels good or as it feels healthy. So I will usually try to have a big view of the year in December and January to... Uh, so you're a New Year's resolution kind of gal. You will, no, but um, <laughs> but a lot of the sign up does happen then. So oh, you okay. sometimes kind of have to make a plan or put your name in a lottery or you know figure out if there's qualifying races you need to set up for your season to get to the race you want. Um, but it usually is also just helpful to have like the big view of the year. Maybe there's a big spring race I'm aiming for, a big summer one and a big fall one. And to see how those will fit together or not fit together is helpful. So last December, when you were thinking about 2022, kind of the first, not post COVID world, but less COVID-y world, with there some opportunities you're like, okay, this is finally opened back up. It's been on my list for a while. I really want to tackle this opportunity. Um, when you were designing this year's season? This year I was thinking about um, that I just am really still intrigued by races with big amounts of climbing and how to move efficiently across mountains. And so I kind of centered my season around figuring that out by putting myself in races where I had to figure it out. Um, and I also had kind of brewing in my brain that if I left August and September open, maybe I would have a chance at going after one of the fun Colorado FKT routes that I've been eyeing. So I kind of had like a, a project in mind as well as the races. I really loved your post recapping your FKT attempt on the collegiate loop. Is this, have, do you, did you ever have a previous attempt at the loop or was it more of, you know, this is my backyard, this is my home state. It's kind of a shorter, not shorter race, but not the longest race you've ever done. You try and do it faster than anyone else. Um, I'd love to read kind of your, your recap of it, but before I read it, because I think people are just going to eat it up, did the race go, would you call it a race, first of all? I want to use the right terminology here when speaking yeah. to the trail experts. Uh, no, I, I'm not an expert, but I would call it more like a project. Okay. When thinking of the project, did you have a specific time goal? Is that you want to get the FKT, but does it work that you know, like, all right, by 20 miles, I would need to be hitting this time? Or are you just like, all right, I'm just going as fast as I possibly can? Yeah, I don't, um, I don't like to run off of splits ever in any of my races or this project. I find that I do much better if I don't know any times and I just, uh, you know, shift it into gear and run by feel and kind of like roll with the day or the days as best I can and see where that lands me. My husband is a numbers guy, so I know like, he always is running scenarios on spreadsheets of like, you know, 
we knew the men's FKT and all of the splits for the uh, men's time because the guy who had that uh, record, has that record, um, was on our crew for our attempt, which was super Insider cool. knowledge. Yeah, and just like, I think that's one really cool part of this sport is people, for the most part, just want to lift each other up regardless of what that means. So I mm -hmm. had the men's record holder on my crew, you know, riding around to all the aid stations. He paced me for a ton of miles and he had, you know, firsthand knowledge of this loop and what it took to run it in his time. Um, we also, while we were out there, the women's FKT holder, Annie Hughes, just showed up out on the trail because she saw I was doing it and she came out to cheer. So it was like, wow, that's just like what the sport is to me is mm -hmm. like, you know, people just lifting each other up. We all want to know what's possible and we all want the best for each other. Oh, I just that's the coolest thing that she showed up on the trail. You had no idea. Well, I didn't know she was going to show up. I had texted her the day before and said, hey, thank you so much for, you know, setting this stout time. You're amazing. I'm going to go for it tomorrow. And I just wanted her to know that I was like going to be out on this trail. Um, so then she had been following along with the social media stuff and uh, the tracker and just showed up. And then she was also out at the finish line when I finished. That's incredible. All right, we're not gonna go through every single split, but I just wanna get some highlights because I really, while I have you here, because 40 hours of running, first of all, I, hard for me to even imagine, but miles zero to 52 were solo. Is that how you like to start out in an attempt like this by, you know, you have a lot of energy, you're just starting off, finding your flow and your rhythm. Um, is that what you like to do, just starting off by yourself? Exactly, I like to, just have the peace and quiet to, you know, get my head on, get my body moving, like get all the systems working together and basically like letting them know what's up. Like this is what we're about to do, you know, so join in. <laughs> all right. Then, you know, miles 52 to 95, you're in the nighttime. Things are getting weird. And above 11,000 feet, you started throwing up. So already starting. See, for me, I'd be like, I'm done, I'm out. There was a little bit of throw up, we're done with this. How do you know that that's just a temporary event and you can push through? Is that just something you've learned through running many distances like this? Or is it for you like above a certain altitude that your stomach has a really hard time? So was it the night element? And how did you decide that you're like, all right, this is just going to pass and I'm going to be able to keep going. I think all the years of running ultras um, have just, you know, helped me gather evidence and information about things that are okay to happen during a run that you can move past and, you know, still finish or even get like better from. So when I started throwing up um, for sure, we had been pushing, you know, I had been above tree line for hours. And so when it was happening, the guys I was with uh, and myself, we were all just like, okay, yeah, that this makes sense. We're at a really high altitude. We've been pushing hard all day. 
we're going to drop in altitude in a few hours. So like, let's just manage this as best we can and keep in as many liquids and calories as possible without throwing them all up. So uh, I think it was just from experiencing it before and um, also like you're throwing up, but it's okay. And it's at least worth trying to continue pushing past it to see. I think you should mm -hmm. always at least give yourself a chance to see if it will get better before, you know, panicking. And uh, yeah. I had a great crew. And so I'd, you know, thrown up a bunch all night, but then we got to an aid station where my crew was, let them know, you know, here's what's happening. And they could go into uh, like group think mode of like, what should we try? You know, how could we pivot? What calories might stay in? Like, and then we just started going through the list of like, try stuff. Why not? What do you have to lose? Mm -hmm. Is there a specific thing that you tried during that time? Is it, you know, just the coming down from the altitude or is it some sort of nutrition that you're like, okay, I got everything that's been out, let's come back in and we're good to go. Yeah, we tried um, broth and that had worked at a previous race when my stomach turned. So we went for the broth and that also didn't stay. But at the same time, we were dropping altitude. So um, after the broth, we tried goldfish crackers, which is a Ooh, new one good for choice. me. Yeah. <laughs> a classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and those ended up saving the day. So. Basically, on day two, I ate so many goldfish crackers just because that was the thing that, like, tasted really good. It was staying in. And Salty. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't causing any problems. I love that. All right, you come back down, you recovered, and then you, miles 120 to 139, you said you were in a mentally low patch, but you're a super positive person. So what does that actually look like for you when you get to a mentally low state? Is it more of like a tired state or is it doubt as far as the attempt? Like what, what do you mean by low patch for you? Yeah, it was um, not doubt. I knew we were going to make it to that finish line. I didn't know when and I didn't know exactly how, but I never doubted that we could close the loop and finish this attempt. Um, but I think in those miles, it was just like, one of those runs where you're working for every step. Like nothing was coming easy. Every hundred meters like was taking, you know, all of my brain power, all of my physical power, and I couldn't think about anything else. So I had pacers with me. Um, and basically I was like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't talk during this. Like, mm -hmm. let's just be together and um, know that I appreciate you for being here, but we're going radio silence. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've been there. I've been there. It's like you can feel them, but you don't need to be speaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've re you really rebooted, booted and rallied quite literally multiple times during this attempt and you got the FKT. So in those final few miles, how, how were you feeling and how did you rebound from that low moment to, you know, have such a terrific finish? 
we, yeah, I had that rough patch and then I got to my aid station um, and I sat in the car all by myself and closed my eyes for five minutes and uh, got the full recharge I needed. So when I headed out into the last like 30 miles, I was feeling super energized. I was, you know, able to converse and have fun with my pacers again. And um, we were just moving as best we could to finish this thing off. It feels weird, uh, but in a loop that's 160 miles, the last 30 miles, you really can smell the barn. And mm -hmm. um, so it feels like, you know, it's in your reach and you can get there, even though on a normal day, 30 miles is a far ways to run still. But we were like fired up about how close we were and uh, riding that energy to the finish. Well, congratulations on getting the FKT. It seems like such an adventure project. Are there any other projects that you have simmering, knowing that you're like, okay, we checked this one off the list. It's gonna stay for now. Maybe it'll be broken sometime soon. But do you, does your mind immediately go to the next race or are you someone who really soaks it in? Um, I hope someone goes out and breaks that one. I think that would be super cool and I would be out there cheering or pacing or helping in whatever way I could. We, uh, I mean, for sure, I have the Colorado Trail high on my list to re-attempt. That's the one where I made it to 300 miles instead of 500 Ooh. miles. So one day I would like to try that again. Um, I think we're... Uh, more of like the eyes forward type of people like we finish something and for sure you know celebrate no matter how it went or what happened out there but take some days to just kick up our feet and enjoy life you know and enjoy you know all the memories that we just made from it but then it's eyes forward on the next thing and after finishing the collegiate loop really shortly after I got to go do this 50 mile race with my mom. And so, you know, our attention could shift immediately to how cool this next thing is going to be. I love it. So how do the seasons impact your training and race decisions? You know, the mountains are about to become pretty snowy. You live in Colorado. There's kind of a key window of time to do this big mountain running, unless you're getting into schemo, um, which, you know, you could do that as well if you really wanted to, but <laughs> you're like, let's go do some races in South America, or do you really take, once the snow comes, as that reset training period um, to look forward to, you know, once the snow melts? I try to have an off season. It is super easy with this sport to find a race you know, all year long, because always there's somewhere in the world where the trails are dry. So there's always a possibility to keep racing, but I have been trying to intentionally take basically the holiday season, like end of November through December as a fully off season from running and then to ease back into it in January, knowing that in January, where I live is definitely going to be covered in snow. And so any race decisions I make for early in the season, like 
I try to be um, at least aware of the training grounds I'll have versus the races that I'm looking at. Because in the winter here mm. in Leadville, I'm running dirt roads. Uh, so I'm not going to get, you know, the technical trails. I'm not going to get a ton of climbing. And so being realistic with, you know, what would be a good first race of the year, maybe not the one with the most technical trails and the most climbing, just because I will not have gotten on anything yet. Mm. So you truly take like a month off of no running in the holidays? Yeah, basically. Um, sometimes I'll go out for a little waddle around the neighborhood just because being outside feels good. But um, otherwise we'll go like just skiing or snowboarding or cross country skiing, you know, get outside in other ways and let my body just fully like rest up and, you know, enjoy all of the things that come with the holiday season. Oh, I, I really appreciate that, that you take the time to reset because I think it's a lot of people in the sport of running, whatever other aspect you do of it, it's hard to, to take that stop time period. So for someone at your level, it's really great to hear. I want to know a little bit more about how you kind of contribute things to your longevity. And you went full-time pro in 2017. So it's been about five years and done a lot of races in between. Have you suffered any injuries within that time period? I did have a um, hip injury, let's see, in 2019. So it actually like flared up and happened during a race where uh, it was like a tendonitis issue, but basically when it was happening during the race, my leg was just like giving out under me every time. Scary. Yeah, and we didn't know what it was. And um, so I ended up not finishing that race just because I, uh, I didn't want to push through if it was a bone thing or you know something I would make worse by running on it. Um, and so from that, we were able to learn a ton about the benefits of taking care of our bodies. Before that, I was a person who just rolled out of bed, put on my running shoes and went. No, you know, strength work ever, no stretching, no activation, nothing to get my body ready for everything I was going to ask from it. Um, I just kept like putting on more and more miles and you know, more and more hills and more and more speed and never gave it anything in return. So that injury, I'm actually quite thankful for at this point because I was able to, you know, get a full taste of the importance of taking care of ourselves and uh, being thoughtful about, you know, what we're asking our bodies to do and how we ask them to do it. Do you have a favorite mode of recovery? You're someone who enjoys massage or acupuncture or just kind of self-treatment at home? My favorite mode is uh, just tuning into my body and mm -hmm. uh, you know, giving it like, what are the cravings I'm having right now? Or um, do I wanna just sit here in my sweatpants or does walking sound nice? Like really trying to listen and then you know, follow through with giving it that thing. 
So I only have a couple more questions for you today, but one of the big ones was about, you know, the future of ultra running for women. And I've heard you discuss a couple times on some other interviews about, you know, as the distances get longer, women are still, are being more and more competitive with men. And you're someone who loves a longer distance race, like an over 200, um, an ultra ultra in my book. I don't know what the qualification is after you get to a certain <laughs> level, but in the past years, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience of the growing women's side of the sport and how it's progressed um, since you decided to, you know, jump ship and go pro. Um, how has the women's sport grown? It's a really exciting time for women in ultra running. Um, I feel really thankful to be part of the sport right now. There's more and more women signing up for races of all distances, but definitely uh, starting to see more in those really long ones. And more and more women just like throwing, you know, any preconceived like limits or um, boundaries that they might have felt were there out the window and seeing what's possible. Like, who cares what anyone says is supposed to happen? I'm just going to run as best I can right now and see where that actually lands me. And I think that's really exciting for the sport and for women and um, yeah. And it's cool that it's a sport where collaboration feels very prevalent. So um, anyone signing up for you know a new distance or a new race could reach out to another ultra runner and just ask for you know any insight hey i'm gonna try 200 miles do you have any tips for what i should do for nutrition or foot management or whatever and i just think that's so cool that um, people want to share all of those nuggets that they've gathered themselves and make it a community you know pot of information i really love the element too of like what you mentioned of this sharing of knowledge because at the end of the day, times kind of don't matter and it's more about the experience on the trail. And the only people, there's no really, a written record just doesn't do it justice to explain. So, you know, you ex what I learned from like you speaking about your collegiate loop experience, talking about it versus an Instagram post, it's like, it's night and day. Like you don't actually get the full story. So it's really interesting to hear that there's this kind of constant communication loop, especially on the women's side of the sport. Have you seen that there's been some races that have been, have had more women join them? Is it distance by distance? Have like more women joined the 50 milers and then now they're coming to the 100 and now it's coming up? Like has each year moved distance to distance or is it kind of a swath of women are, more women are joining in all of the events? For sure, the um, like, if you're at a weekend event and the race has a 50K, a 50 mile and a 100 mile race, the 50K, 31 mile race is going to have way more or a much higher percent of women in it than the 100 mile race. So those, I'm struggling to find a word that's not shorter, but they are shorter than 100 miles, but 50K is a very awesome race distance. Um, those ones always seem to have 
a higher percentage of women. And what I hope is that, you know, that triggers the snowball for them where they finish this 50K, have a really awesome adventure and experience with it. And it encourages them to try the 50 mile distance. And after you finish a 50 miler, like, do you wonder about the next one? Are you curious or not? Like, and I would love to see more women just giving it a shot at those longer ones um, and surprising themselves, you know, with like, they're totally capable. Their feet can do it. Their brains can do it. It's so cool to finish an adventure like that. Um, so give it a shot. You should host your own race. Well, your that would be really cool. Like, yeah. Would you Colorado? come to it? That's the only way I'd come. Okay. <laughs> That's literally the only way I'd come. The only <laughs> That would be my gateway. I mean, I am doing, so we're brought together because I'm doing the Solomon Women's Trail Half Marathon, which is, I think it's 2,500 feet of vert. So in the scheme of vert, not terrible, but it'll be my first trail race. And I, the flow that you're describing on the trails is a little hard for me to conceptualize because flow on a flat track like, I fully comprehend that, you know, it's 400 meters, you're in the space, you're contained. But to find the flow in the trail, I think that's my new goal for this race is to attempt to have a flow um, yeah. style run. I think you can absolutely find it. And uh, I'm so excited to hear how you like it. I would say um, that one difference besides the fact that you'll probably need to pick up your feet a little more than when you run the roads or when you run a track just to avoid tripping, um, is that thinking about like not fighting the trail and just taking what it's giving you can be helpful as you work through 2,500 feet of gain. You know, like some hills, it's more work to try to run up it and like hold a pace than it would be to just slow your roll a little bit, not fight it, like take that little section, do it as best you can. And then when it opens up again to something flat or downhill that's runnable to just roll with the terrain like that. When you think about your gear, this is, you know, what kind of shoes are you wearing? And you switch shoes throughout races. But as far as, far as like the Solomon has incredible trail shoes. So are you using the one that has a carbon plate in it, a plate in it? Um, or are you just using all different types of trail shoes during the race? Do you have a favorite? I do have a favorite. I have a couple of favorites. For um, most of my racing, I'll wear the S-Lab Ultra 3. Has, mm. um, you know, a great amount of cushion, a great amount of tread, but also just like high comfort and feels like when you put your foot in it, like your, your feet want to run. Um, and I also really love the Ultra Glide and that mm. has a little more cushion, which I, and I enjoy cushion all the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm into it. I've been running in the Pulsar Trail Pro, but I think it's just because I like a track spike and I'm like, this feels good. This feels the closest thing to a track spike we got. Those are awesome though. Is yeah, that what you're gonna do the like, half marathon in? I can't decide because I don't know if they're cushy enough, but it's, it's really smooth trails most of the way. It's not yeah. rocky single track, so I think I am. 
Yeah. They I think fit that's really a great well. Choice. Yeah. The Ultra Glide's a little wide for, and I have a very skinny foot. So I was like, okay. I just think the security might be a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sweet. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Well, we'll have to do a recap after as well to, to see if this is the true gateway before we get into Courtney's. If you were to host your race, what would the distance be? Oh man, I think I love the festivals that have a little bit of everything. So okay. I think offering something like a 10K or a half marathon is super cool. And, you know, I love the really, really long ones. So, um, and, and everything in between. Yeah, I want it to be a big trail party. Ooh, all right. Well, we both know Solomon, so we're gonna make this happen. <laughs> it's it's Solomon's 50th anniversary, which I also think is really cool um, to see how women have grown within the company and the brand and the space. So I think it would be a great 50th anniversary and a Courtney celebration to host this festival in Colorado. Great idea. Right? Yeah, you heard We're, it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on and telling a sweet little track runner all about the ultra worlds. This has been really fun. I've learned so much and I wish you all the best in your future races and projects and just really appreciate the joy that you bring to the sport and making it not so, um, you know, breaking down the barriers and not making it intimidating for women. So thank well, you. Thank you. Thanks for having me and I can't wait to share the trails with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Running. I can't believe it's been five seasons already, almost 50 episodes of the More Than Running podcast. You guys have been with me from professionally running on the track and now to this new stage of my life where I'm experimenting with running, my relationship with it, and I'm bringing you guys all along the way. I truly love this sport and my purpose in this podcast is to amplify voices that I find are extremely inspiring to me and I believe have great stories to share with you guys as well. If you ever have any recommendations of someone you'd love to hear on the podcast, you know where to find me. I'm over on Instagram and TikTok at Dana Geo or at the More Than Running podcast on Instagram. More Than Running is on the Sidious Mag podcast network and is edited and produced by Mike Zerzolo. If you like what you've heard of course leave a review subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or just share with a friend until next time cheers